Carpenter himself is actually a pretty fucking great uh, uh, yeah score. Yes, yeah. what yeah. I want to say, score composer, score composer, there yeah. or, or score person, that's score fine. person. I that like works it better. <laughs> oh, that's like it reminds me of that amazing film we watched a few weeks ago with uh, James McAvoy Filth, where we just decided that he doesn't need to be called by anything; he just needs to be called Mister Filth. Yeah. Mister Filth. He's yeah. he's Mister Score. Okay. He is. Yeah. From what I've read, it's supposed to be. I think. It's alluded to that Childs and McCready, right, mm-hmm. um, are actually uh, Andy's mom's toys that she used you to play son with. Of a bitch! Oh god! Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the 1982 horror sci-fi classic, which is John Carpenter's The Thing. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 86 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my two compadres, Nick Cheney Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Are you sure? Are you sure it's your two compadres? How do I know you're the real Alex? Wow. He's... I know he's he's referencing the film we're talking about, oh, okay. but... Um, yeah. Toussaint's excited. Well, you know, this only can happen in Antarctica, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, the film we are talking about today is John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, I thought you meant we were talking about Snow Dogs with Paul Walker. <laughs> no, that's not the film we're reviewing today. Whoops. We should have. I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> I was going to say we should have. We're... Although we could talk about the exact same things and then like a half an hour in, oh shit, we were talking about a different movie which had a slightly different Paul premise. I Walker was the thing. I thought those dogs were going to eat him alive. I got confused. Hmm. Mm-hmm. God. So yeah, this is one of Tucson's favorite films, so we'll, we'll let him talk about this first. Uh, after discussing the, uh, the plot description and uh, the actors, which involved Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> Diabetes. Yeah. Also, Keith David here, uh, Richard Mazur, and a cast of other people who don't have as recognizable names. Uh, the film, which was directed by John Carpenter... Uh, and overall, he was a major uh, player in this project, obviously, and the tone of it, as uh, as he is in most of the films that he uh, he created. Uh, this movie, which was released in 82, uh, is in the first week of winter, an American research base is greeted by an alien force that can assimilate anything it touches. It's up to the members of this group to stay alive and be sure who is human and who has become one of the things? God, IMDb is just great at this. Yeah. Whoever writes these should just—they should just give up. Like they should just stop because they 
They, they must, should just they, stop. Yeah, they well, no, they must have their whole retirement like completely set up by now. They can do anything they want, and they are just good to go. Uh, so Toussaint really has been championing this film uh, for about a year or so mm-hmm. to be an episode, and this is pretty timely as this is. Uh, although I, I guess this is probably more in the genre of science fiction. There obviously is a lot of horror elements going on, are a lot of horror elements going on here. Mm. So, um, Toussaint, why don't you just start off talking about more about why you like certain parts of, of the film, The Thing, and um, why you really wanted us to do an episode on it before going into your, your initial thoughts. Oh, thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I first saw this film when I was in high school, and it absolutely terrified the shit out of me. And it always stuck with me. Like it, it's almost become a yearly, if not bi-yearly uh, occasion where I will rewatch this film just because I'm so enthralled by it um, on a visual level, on a story level. I enjoy it on an acting level and especially on a special effects level. Like Rob Dotton's um, special effects of this are legendary. And personally for me, I think that this to me is uh, John Carpenter's most essential one of his most essential films to ever be, be created. Like, you have to watch The Thing. I mean, re- regardless of all the other things that, he, that he's created, like such as... Um, Halloween. Halloween. And Assault they, on Precinct 13. I know, yeah. And um, I think he did Prince of Darkness, and he did uh, They Live, another one of my favorite films of all time. Escape from New York. Oh, my God. Big Trouble like, in Little China. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that either. Anyway. Yeah, it, it's a terrible film. But this one is incredible. <laughs> um, and I just... I, I really enjoy it because it has such a intense and unrelenting sense of paranoia and dread throughout it. Like the thing itself, the creature is absolutely monstrous. There's no, there, there's no way to not be terrified of of confronting something like that. But I think what's even more terrifying is just how this close, this close quartered. Um, team of, of of professionals just sort of begin to turn on one another and become like their own worst enemy so yeah so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to like going back more into it but i've already seen this film like hundreds and hundreds of times and i want to hear what you guys think hundreds and hundreds well that's a big number uh, let's go dozens <laughs> dozens that's dozens. probably more realistic dozens of us <laughs> I will go next. Sure. Uh, I watched this for the very first time last year. Actually, I looked at Letterboxd, and it was like the, almost the exact same time mm-hmm. when we sat down to watch it than this year. Uh, so I watched it for the first time last year, and I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I think it was the first movie uh, by John Carpenter I'd ever seen because I had not ever really – because I never really grew up with horror mm-hmm. or even just the genres that he works in. I just never caught one of them. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed it when we first watched it. So now rewatching it, I was kind of curious as to how it would hold up, uh, because, you know, certain horror movies don't hold up as far as like when you know what's around the corner, then that movie falls apart if it's done wrong, you know, and whatnot. This is clearly a movie that's not done wrong because it held up very well. Um, this is probably like, for me at least, like this movie works I would say lives and dies on the special effects. Like, I wouldn't say that the script or the acting or anything in there is particularly engrossing to me. Um, but because of how how good those special effects are, mm-hmm. it literally makes everything else seem more real, more terrifying, more uh, tense, and everything to follow. 
So, I mean, ultimately, I am a fan of this movie. Uh, and I wouldn't even say I have criticism, but there are just parts. Uh, I would say not even parts, but I would say there are aspects of this film that aren't really that don't really draw me in and one of them that i'll go probably maybe in a little more into detail about later is just the idea that i think john carpenter is a methodical director and i think some of that uh, methodicalness particularly in the pacing and the script hinders one of the best aspects the film has going for it which is that paranoia because something that struck me when I was rewatching it was that it was a, it's a lot more clear cut as to who the thing is, isn't happening. Not necessarily before the reveals happen, but like the movie is essentially a series. It's essentially a slasher film. Like it's like, even though it is certainly has a paranoia aspect to it and there is the claustrophobic nature or whatever, ultimately it's a monster killing off the entire team one by one. And I felt like there could have been a little more like, I don't know, a little more chaos to that 10 little Indians uh, structure Mm. to make it a little more terrifying. I don't know. It's just for some reason rewatching it like that. That was the one aspect that stood out to me that I just kind of forgot and also just didn't really appreciate, which is that we ultimately know what the thing is every time it's revealed and I feel like every time like I don't know I guess I would have wished for a little more ambiguity as to but ultimately the thing that happens just about everybody mm-hmm. at any at, at some given point throughout the movie so it never really becomes about in the end that ambiguity and like I, I guess I just would have loved for them to have like and, and I know there's certainly allusions to the idea that like they killed the one who was a human um, but that's almost passed off uh it's kind of a throwaway line um i i don't know it's just the 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 battle between the ambiguity of who the thing is i would say slightly dissipates the more i get into the film like i'm most on board from the beginning and i lose slight i would say not interest but slight involvement in the tension the more the film goes on because we're getting like literally when you have the body count go down every 10 minutes Mm -hmm. Even though that's, and for good reason, because those special effects are amazing. Like, even though that's, like, not a bad thing, like, we, all we're doing is eliminating the suspects. And I, I, I just think a little more restraint in the pacing of killing off these members could have gotten a lot more uh, uncomfortable, you know, uh, chaos out of it. I don't know what I'm talking about, because I know a lot of people, not a lot of people, like, just about everybody I know, absolutely love this movie and for good reason and i really like the movie i just what keeps it from becoming a classic is the way it i think stays away from uh letting some of that ambiguity stay up in the air up until the final scene of course which certainly is one for the ages in what's going to happen when the credits roll uh but that's almost like as much as i love that final scene like that's what was missing for me, as to what I personally liked about the movie, uh, for, I, from leading up to that point, but that's just yeah. I think I see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with it, but um, it does kind of raise an interesting point that I haven't really heard before. Um, just about the the dissipation of ambiguity and tension is like you think that it would be more tense if there were more players on the board, so to speak, that they weren't being thinned out so methodically which i have to admit like yeah when you look back on it it's like it's sort of like boop 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 right and because they're so laser focused on clearly on like every person that the thing ends up inhabiting Mm -hmm. and then them trying to evade like 
that is effective because, like I said, the special effects are so great and it's a fantastic setting. And I even think, even though I don't think the acting is good, I think the casting is good because this just feels like a group of guys who are, you know, stuck up there. Um, Can I say one yeah. thing really quickly? Uh, just Please. jump in here real quick. Uh, that I wanted to mention is that, to, to your guys' point of what you're talking about, about how we, we kind of lose sight of, of the characters and the pacing, and it's a little bit weird at times. Uh, I, I do think that this film being from 1982 and you know being kind of from this time period that this film was released, uh, it does make things a little too obvious and, and tries really hard to not necessarily dumb down, but be like, oh, when we see the dog walking into the room where we know the guy was before, and then later in the film he ends up being one. Like, it just... Those little things that I feel like those pop up a few too many times for me, and it and it never ends up not being like a like a, just something to throw you off. Like that ends up being who it is. At least that's what I got from the first time seeing the film because I've only seen it once. Like I'll compare it to something really quick, and then I'll throw it to you for your yeah. you know your main thoughts. But kind of just to at least extrapolate what I mean, mm-hmm. um, if this movie had a similar, I'm not saying an exacting approach, but a similar approach to something like what It Follows does with the economy of the characters that populate both uh, films' world. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, one is like an entire suburbia, and the yeah. other one's just this room. Right. But I just thought when I was going to rewatch it, because it's been a year since I saw it for the first time, that there was going to be a little more like, oh, I'd be able to tell that he's the thing in this scene, but I feel like there's not a lot of that, unless I missed a lot of it. See, I don't... See, the, the thing about... <laughs> the thing. The thing about identifying... He just did it again, you son of a bitch. You can't do you can't talk about this film without talking about the thing. The the thing about I mean that's the thing. The yeah. thing about identifying who the thing is in any one scene is not reliant on the scenes where the characters are necessarily on screen, but on those actual like interludes where it's just like roping through the actual like uh like outpost, which I I feel like upon watching those initially for the first time, it's like, oh, you think that's just like an expository shot that's like meaningless for no other reason. Like, but no, it's actually meant to, if, if you pay attention to it, it's like it is meant to like guide you through the course of like the actual, um, the actual layout of this place and how a person is meant to get from that point to other points. Like who could possibly do that? Like there's, there's one scene where the, the radio technician, he turns around and he sees uh, one of his friends being absorbed into the actual thing and he drops his keys and he runs off in order to like alert everybody and shows like what the fuck is going on and then you come back and it's a completely clean area i don't know how it did that but you realize like looking down like in a scene that's like like looking down is like the keys are missing so the thing obviously took those keys and used those in order to open up the blood like storage thing and destroyed it all and then afterwards like it has other clues that actually like are sprinkled about that show like where the thing moved to next. And I just think that's um it, it it's it's really in my opinion just like masterful cinematography. I feel like it, it, there are hints in there. You just really have to like really look for them. You need to watch the film dozens and dozens of times. I have and it's great. Say, yeah. Well, I guess the other thing I'll say really quick just in response to that is that it's not so much that I want hints because mostly my complaint is that it's not ambiguous and not that a movie has to be ambiguous but that's what i mean by it's so methodical that 
that is enthralling to watch on this level and mm-hmm. on a different level. And I'm saying with my hands, I'm showing a level that's not higher or lower, mm-hmm. but a different spot would have been just equally as absorbing if somehow they could have balanced the two where you wouldn't be able to, I don't know, like be able to track something like that because mm-hmm. then you start to get an idea as to where it was. You know, like I don't want to play coherence with with the thing and, and be able to draw out a huge map that said, okay, the thing started here and it went from this person to this person to this this person was never. And like now I know you could do that and I'm not saying that that's an inherently yeah. bad thing. <laughs> but um, like I guess I just, because I'm so well, lost in my, in the character's paranoia, it, that's a little at odds to what I want. I out mean, of it. It, that's all. At the same time, though, there's not like a rule that says that the thing has to only be embodying in one person at a time. Like yeah. it could be throughout the entire place. Like they all could be infected with it. No, I know, and that's what I'm trying to say. Is well, hold on. Well, no, I mean, um, yeah. It's like, and that's what I mentioned earlier. As far as it's not so much that it's pre-reveal, but like I said, the the movie reveals everything every time someone gets killed like you you know by the end of the movie except for the last two people that are left what has transpired yeah and the way the movie dolls out that information is too methodical because it's one after the other that there's just not enough chaos in that tension uh that it it feels more like a slasher movie than it does a paranoia you know invasion of the body snatchers type uh thriller i don't, I don't it's like it's something i enjoy yeah. but for a movie that's trying to engross me in the, and i say this as a fan of the movie mm. I, that's just what keeps me from like loving it yeah i i would say to to sort of like contest that i feel like there is enough of it is methodical i will say that but i feel like there is an even split in my opinion um there's a split between the the methodical nature of being able to plot out the the thing's trajectory of like how it moves throughout the space and absorbs other people and stuff like that but there's also the ambiguity of certain characters for whom their their position and their status within the actual film you can't really account for there are still people you just you don't you don't know where the fuck they are yeah. like you you can you can kind of like intuate the 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 vague uh, impression of where the thing kind of like moved from and how it got this stuff and how it did that stuff but you don't really know like the particulars until after somebody's died of course yeah, yeah. So. no and that's what i'm trying to say and i just want to really quickly reinstate that i really do enjoy this movie yeah I just, Good. for some reason, wanted to criticize it because that's what I do to the ones I love. No, oh, that's fine. I'm just kidding. And anyway. the ones you, you don't love. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, uh, it was my first time seeing this film. Well, technically, it's my second to try. say, you watched it twice. <laughs> well, I was in the room when it was playing the first time, and somebody happened to fall asleep. Uh, it's never happened before. This is the first time. No. Nope. Never happened. Nope. So I think I made it about 15 minutes in. Yeah, you you got far, buddy. It was a great 15 minutes, though. Uh, yeah, obviously I was loving it. And um, fell asleep. And actually it was quite unusual because usually I'll like doze off and then wake up like 10 minutes later. Nope. Straight out, like woke up after you turned it off. Like, Yep. I had already done the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I had to obviously watch it again since we were doing this episode. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really glad I did because I very much enjoyed this film. I thought this was a fantastic movie. I wouldn't call it a masterpiece or an all-time classic uh, for me, 
But uh, I thought that there were a lot of things here that made me appreciate this particular film. Uh, I've said it many times on this podcast. I'm way into technical aspects of films, and they can very easily bring a film's rating up half full star, star and a half, depending on how good they are. And the technical aspects here, for me at least personally, are pretty much flawless uh, in this film. You have the terrific creature design, which uh, really, I mean, that's not necessarily a good thing to say on a podcast, but it, it, you don't need to even talk about it. Like, it's, it's, that, it's that good. You can describe it, and you can talk about why you like it so much, but it is so fantastic that you don't even really have to go into detail because anybody who watches it, it will pretty much speak for itself for how fantastic it is. To speak to the quality of the special effects, Rob Botton, who was a, a wonder kid of, of, of sorts for special effects back then. It was like chosen by Carpenter to work on that film. Um, he was working on the special effects for that film up until like the final cut of it. And he had he he was so engrossed in it and 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 so devoted to it that he had to immediately be shipped off to the hospital in order to recuperate because he had drained himself so much in doing it. Like he he put his heart and soul into making those those creature designs, and it shows. It's uh yeah. it's it's really suffering for your art and really it coming through. So, but you just see, like Jared Leto in uh, in Suicide how Squad. How dare you bring that man's name <laughs> into this <laughs> film? <laughs> and suffering for his art in that uh, yeah. in that, uh, that well, amazing you know, music both video damaged. too. Ah, yeah, because his forehead. Yeah. How dare you. So yeah, the Rick Ross music video was just so fabulous. If you haven't seen it, you should. We'll see. Yeah. Ah, there you go. So yeah, the I mean, just from the opening lid lifter, when you see the creature get laid uh, on the table. <laughs> oh, well, this isn't neon demon. Uh, well, you see the creature laid down no, on the table, <laughs> the table after they brought it back from the Norwegian uh, campsite or, or yeah. area, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, just the the amount of things that just the initial pan over that just draws interest whether than just looking cool there's just so many things that you're like what the fuck and when you see like the melted half face oh man that is just so bizarre and kind of terrifying and, and yeah. weird and you, there's really no explanation because you you just think from when your first vision of that was, oh look it's an alien and they're like wait a minute that's a person and Out, it's outside it, there's a yeah. burn pit filled with bodies and yeah. shit yeah it's just it's so the that part of it um, the cinematography, lighting, uh, set design, production, sort of, I mean, everything here is just looks so fantastic. Uh, this really makes you appreciate a just, unfortunately, pretty much gone aspect of Hollywood, which is the importance of blocking and using the camera and using movement of the camera, using movement of the actors and actresses. An awareness of space. Even though there's no actresses in this movie. No. Um, the, the, the use of space, uh, the lighting. Maybe I mean, the dog or the girl. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the way the lighting looks, the way the fire looks off the snow here. I mean, all of it is just so good. And you know what? It's really not that hard to have good-looking landscapes in a film and 
not have everything have to be CGI, George Lucas. Like, come on. Like, we can... We, we can, know you're listening. Yeah. We can make great-looking films anything else. and introduce a little CGI or physical character design or whatever and have it still look like a, like a real movie. I, I mean, love that this movie on. gets its shitty CGI out of the way in the first two seconds with the little spaceship. Yeah. Well, I no, I think it's actually endearing or whatever, but it's like from that moment on, like if you judge the movie just from like starting it, you'd be like, oh, but then the minute it turns into actual live action, you know, like you're on the actual earth and whatnot, like everything from that is like astounding that it's just so funny. That and <laughs> when I talk about the uh, actual technical aspects of the film, how about the music here, which is a, a John Carpenter staple, but we have that amazing beat music. that Lord happens. Cone. Yeah. He did the yeah. uh, the theme, and John Carpenter took off from that and just like did the the rest of the. Song. I was gonna say because Carpenter himself is actually a pretty fucking great uh, uh, yeah score yes yeah. I want to say score composer score composer there yeah. or or score person That's score fine. person I that like works it better. <laughs> oh, that's like it reminds me of that amazing film we watched a few weeks ago with uh, James McAvoy Filth, where we just decided that he doesn't need to be called by anything; he just needs to be called Mister Filth. Yeah. Mister Filth, he's yeah. he's Mister Score. Okay. He is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that part of the film uh, is just an A plus all around. It just looks good, sounds good. I mean, I couldn't even imagine watching this film in like an IMAX screen if if the sound editing is is done really well which i don't know if it really is or not just watching this on a tv yeah but man uh so many parts of that were just great and the actual story here is pretty good it's not great um the acting is just okay the story is 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 good and i actually disagree with you a little bit nick where i thought uh, a lot of the paranoia elements in here actually worked really well and even though there were some parts that were i thought were too obvious as i mentioned earlier i I love that there is a time where you genuinely at least watching this for the first time think that it's a possibility that kurt russell is now and has been for almost the entire film one of the things like and watching it the first time and at one point like thinking that that might be true is not necessarily the, the wrong opinion like it would be watching Ex Machina for for the first time and thinking that Dom Hall Gleason may not be a real person like it's just it, it it doesn't necessarily give anything for sure throughout the entire film until you know we have the scene where they do the the blood thing which also could have been tainted in some way yeah. I, 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 who knows I'll it's, say something about like that scene in particular in the sense that that's one good way this subverts I would say most horror. Uh, cliches, which is the idea that he centered his uh, script and this story, a horror story, around smart people. <laughs> yeah. So I do love that there is that, even though I question the pacing or the script to be methodical, but I like that the characters are in character and methodical because they are literally scientists. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I like the idea that and especially that scene where they do the blood samples and the test and whatnot, because that sounds like something that you would actually do if you thought about it. Uh, right. you know. Yeah. There well, are two things uh, that I wanted to definitely, actually three things that I wanted to mention, and then we'll kind of open up for discussion, but there are three little things that I wanted to make sure I got out there before. So I'm just going to get these out there right now. Um, the pretty much last uh, moment of the big climactic scene of the film where, uh, McCready throws the stick of dynamite at the large growing uh, thing. The last man- manifestation of the thing. Yes. Yeah. 
he yells, yeah, fuck you too. And that was just great. It was yeah. like, America, fuck yeah. Yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the two other things, uh, during the scene when... I could uh, dynamite for you. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Oh, if Quentin Tarantino had played McCready, it would have been all over. With an like, Australian I'm not saying accent. I would give it five stars, <laughs> but I'd have to see it, and then I could, it's possible. Um. During the scene when Wilford Brimley's character of Blair has his meltdown and starts hacking up everything, yeah. uh, he gets punched, and there's an amazing 1980s punching sound effect that's in there that yeah. is just so great. Yep. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, which is the the very top of my list on notes that I had for this film, uh, first of all, they're in Antarctica. They have a extremely in-depth uh, collection of beer here. From a lot of different brands that has somehow made it through. I mean, we have Budweiser, Bud Light, Miller, Coors, Coors. Like, well, yeah, they're going to be there for a while. I guess, but where... where they they got to keep warm, man. Where like the, a bachelor party, you I know? I mean, th- this is like Michael Bay 101. Where is your brand loyalty here? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, like Michelob could have given you some money for this. I mean, Fuck. What is John Carpenter doing here? He just wanted to show that it was beer back when movies were made because people wanted to make movies, not yeah. to so pour true. out themselves to Miguel Ultra and Best Buy. Okay. <laughs> so that's all I have that I really wanted to mention. Thank you for three, that out. Three silly things. and um, Three important things. And one yeah. deadly thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. It is October. What? Really? Yeah. So, anyways, uh, let's move on to more of a general discussion about this amazing little film right here. I'm going to have to uh, put a pin in the the point about the acting not being entirely spectacular because I do actually really enjoy the acting in this. I think that Kurt Russell and Keith David, obviously, they're like the, the two mainstay names that I feel like really jump out to me in this because, one, Keith David, like he already has like a relationship with – Keith David and Kurt Russell both have sort of their, their recurring uh, – moments in John Carpenter's like Ovoir where you have like Keith David, he's kind of like the sidekick and they live and he pretty much fills out the same sort of archetype of just being this guy who's really incredulous and doesn't give a shit about anything. He's like this alpha male who just like has to like prove himself for some reason. He doesn't have to prove himself. Okay. It's just happening, whatever. Um, and then you have, um, Kurt Russell who obviously came back in, like Big Trouble in Little China and stuff, and he's well, he's like a that's like Carpenter's you know muse right there as far as you know Scorsese has DiCaprio mm-hmm. now obviously he had other people before but De Niro uh, <laughs> well yeah but I think he's more in love with DiCaprio at this point well at this point yeah but De Niro was Not like his go to I know it was but I'm saying as far as he kind of seemed to cast De Niro in the same role almost right. over and over whereas De- not. All I'm trying to say is I think DiCaprio, he's so glad he's found DiCaprio because not only can he use the same actor over and over, but he can put him in Jordan Belfort or The Aviator. I mean, it's true. De Niro would not from. be a person who would play like a Howard Hughes and Jordan Belfort. Yeah, but if and, you look uh, at, I mean, okay. the, the, anyway, Scorsese has no, a lot no, of no, We're, we're going to have this right now because okay. if we're like, this could be for a different day, obviously. But, I mean, whether it be the same role or not. I'll take it back. I don't really. No, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> if you want to talk about just classic roles like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Oh, absolutely. Goodfellas. And they're all. Casino. And they're all, I mean, same, you yeah. know, mentally yeah. challenged man children. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, yeah. it, De Niro is a great actor, but he's also a actor of a 
one cloth only. I think DiCaprio, even I don't even like DiCaprio that much, but I'll say this for him. Are you saying that he did not have range in Bad Grandpa? Because I will not yeah. leave you on that. Anyway, but, as yeah. I was saying... I'll- I mean, that was like his guy, like back in the day. I'm very aware of this. In fact, I take back whatever you think I said, so to speak. All I was going to say is that Kurt Russell is John Carpenter's muse. I mean, he was uh, in The Thing, uh, Big Trouble. He was in both uh, Escape from New York and the sequel, Escape from L.A. Um, And those are just the ones I'm naming off the top of my head. But that's because, I think, because Kurt Russell himself kind of embodies... uh, John Carpenter's brand of, I think, for the most part, like machismo action heroes who find themselves in like dastardly situations, whether they be of the action or uh, action uh, aspect or of a more horror. And that's what I love is that uh, like it's just a match made in heaven because Kurt Russell himself is basically made to be a B movie star. Yeah, he's he's a straight lace stuntman, Mike. Wise cracking. Well, you know, he's he's a wise cracking blue collar sort of guy who's thrown to extraordinary circumstances and just he, he he's willing to stare down this phantasmagorical like alien horror from the stars and be able to like yeah, well, fuck you too. And it's like it just it, it's 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 a joy to see him in a in a Carpenter film. It really is. And I and I when I'm Going back to is that I really enjoyed him and Keith David sort of like balancing out one another in this. And I also wanted to like just before we like go into like some other like picking a part of this film. Like I wanted to talk a little about this film's legacy because it was released in summer of 1982, which uh, just looking back on that feels like it was. Alex, were you alive? No. Oh, whatever. Anyway, um, 1982. uh when you look back on it, it's sort of the, it, it, it's sort of almost unofficially the the, the greatest. That's the turning point of the, when the, America the, was no longer great. No, it's it's the great it's the <laughs> greatest year. But don't in, worry, we're gonna in, fix that real soon. In science fiction genre film, shut up. <laughs> With films like uh, Star Wars, Wrath of Khan, it had Poltergeist, Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, Star Trek. Yeah, sorry about that. We just lost a lot of listeners, and we only have like six, so... Fuck it off. No, I don't think any of them watch Star Trek. um, (laughs) We had Blade Runner, and we had E.T., which is actually directly uh, related to the the reception of the film. I was going to say, wasn't the thing like an enormous failure when it came out? Yes, it was a critically panned uh, financial failure because it happened to come out uh, two weeks after E.T., which was still... (laughs) Riding at the apex of popularity with people like still aliens wouldn't do this to us. Well, yeah, they like reading the pizzas. The, the reason and and John Carpenter was despondent over they it have, because he thought they that have dildo-sized fingers too. That's over <laughs> at that time, he felt that he was really tapping into what people were looking for in sort of like a a, a genre science fiction horror film, but he just. Happened to hit the wrong note now during I, the zeitgeist. Now I'm just picturing Kurt Russell on a bike and a red hoodie with <laughs> the thing in his little basket. I, I just like that that he just said all this, and all you could talk about is ET. I'm, I, I just, I'm sorry, but I, I just had that. I'm method. talking about the thing right now. Fuck. I know, but I, it's like I going to... back to 1982 again. No, I mean not really. I mean if if you had but, uh, yes. if you had Kurt Russell and just a huge version of Wilford Brimley sticking out of the basket. <laughs> Oh, but God. don't worry, Spielberg would uh, Photoshop and George Lucas the gun into a walkie-talkie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but yeah, no, it came out at an awful time 
And the scientists said it was surrounded by a lot of culturally beloved artifacts that kind of swallow this movie whole, yeah. uh, but certainly separated from it. It's, yeah. uh, it. it's like the exact opposite of what happened when he released uh, Halloween a few years earlier, because that's a movie that came out when that entire genre was barely going to make it and nothing of that variety was really any good at all. Yeah. And it kickstarted a whole new trend and and thing that we still to this day use whereas the thing um is both something that is rooted in classic hollywood because it is a remake of uh what is it the the, i mean not like a direct remake but it's pretty much from from john carpenter's own perspective he didn't want to remake uh the thing from another world because that was a film that was very much beloved to him so we actually went back to the original campbell like who goes there short story and it, it, there is a reference to the original film that I, I, I haven't actually seen the original film. I've only read about this where you see the the sort of ice sarcophagus, the ice coffin that you kind of that they kind of excavated the, the thing from. That's supposed God to be a reference. damn Norwegians. Yeah, that's supposed to be a, a reference to that film. But other than that, it's it's pretty much its own. Okay, I, I guess I won't even say that it's a direct remake of anything yeah. in particular, even though I think Con is a thing is kind of a sly reference to yeah. uh, the folklore of sci-fi yesterday as yeah. far as the thing from outer space and right. the, you know, whatnot. Uh, but it's certainly, it's just a general premise, not the way Carpenter handles it or anything like that, is... Very, I would say, in line with Invasion of the Body Snatchers and uh, other horror alien what whatnots. He just makes it his own thing. Uh, <laughs> I crack myself up, and uh, but you, no, but you and you alone. That's true, and that's <laughs> all I need. Yeah, and I, 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 I think that this film has definitely taken on a, a different. A different sort of tone in in the subsequent years that that has passed since its initial release. I think like I, I was reading uh, when it first came out, there was a uh, a magazine called Cinefantastic that actually had this as the cover story. I wonder why that isn't around anymore. Yeah, I wonder why it's not around anymore. And it says like, is <laughs> this print is dying? Is this the worst film ever say, made? They, they name said, is Cinefantastic. I mean, yeah, it's adorable. They said, "Is John Carpenter's a thing? The worst film ever made?" I'm like, ooh, <laughs> shit. Well, what was the answer? I, apparently, it was yes because they fucking hated it. Like they just led with that that rhetorical question. Anybody who has any strong opinion about what the worst movie ever made is automatically wrong about everything they ever think about movies. Yeah, there's always a worse <laughs> film out there. There's always something worse. Well, I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of a lot of bad films. Yeah. Yeah. The worst. There's a lot of films that do some things pretty close to the worst, but uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. There's probably not a definitive. Just like there's not a definitive best film, unless you go on IMDb, and that would be Shawshank Redemption. Then, yeah. Yep. Um, and another one of my Great favorite stuff. things. <laughs> about this film is the the actual movie poster for it. I feel like it's it's classic like throwback um yeah like, it it feels like uh George McFly's book cover from Back to the Future. Yeah, and, and and what's what's really fascinating about it is that it was a rush job and the <laughs> artist didn't actually like see the film itself. It's yeah. like we need you to draw this. I, I was, you know it's 
And that's amazing. You say that, and it's, I got to admit, that's pretty clear It's <laughs> that he cr- never watched the movie, because I always look at it, and even if I like it as poster art, I'm like, how did this come about? Because <laughs> this is just so bad. I think the poster works. No, I no, I mean, it does. I think it's incredible. It's, it works because it's iconic, but is it, I, I, would something that was actually more accurate be iconic? No, I don't think so. You know, so that's why yeah. it works, but yeah. it's just, every time I see it, I'm always like, whoa. Yeah. Now, where did we get those? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just, I just love it as, a, as a whole package through like the, yeah. the presentation. Even the, um, what's uh, the Frank Darabont movie, The Mist? Yeah, it's the the character in The Mist uh, in the film is a he's poster, a, he's a poster artist. Yeah. He's a poster artist, and yeah. I can't remember because correct me. Is, is essentially saying that he because he has it hanging in his whatever, or did he actually create it? I think in the universe of the movie, in, in the in the universe of the movie, I don't think it's it's that he painted it. It's okay. just like it, it happens to be the 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 main character is a movie poster artist, right? right. And he's painting obviously that, that. So he's just hanging the greats. It, it's he he's painting a spec poster for a dark tower film which Frank Darabont wanted to actually like lead with at at some point okay. but it's actually painted by the same guy who did the thing poster it. so that's why it's hung there as a which also just at least uh, thematically throughout there yeah. certainly the mist and this movie have similarities when it comes to that atmosphere of paranoia oh absolutely anyway, yeah. yeah so yeah so, so random. Yeah. So uh, speaking of this film in more of a more of a general term in terms of its lasting effect on current filmmakers or film viewers or whatever, uh, there was something that I had uh, as a takeaway from this film, which led me to believe that there is a certain filmmaker uh, or television creator or whatever that had to have taken something from this film. And that is JJ Abrams uh, because of the extreme use of lens flares, whether it be on purpose or not in this film where I was like, man, this is getting a little bit annoying. I will say, from my own personal thinking that the lens flare in a John Carpenter movie is almost always not on purpose because he seems to me like the epitome of a B-movie director, which is that he just... I mean, Halloween, that famous score from Halloween is only... Not only famous, but is a famous score, and yet it's only what it is because he couldn't really hire someone to write it, and he just had to do it himself. Right. He just sat down at a, on a MIDI piano and, you know, do-do-do-do. But, but like, ended up it, it gets, scoring the entire site because of that, right. of that it, it era gets, film. It, it gets to the point in this film where it was clearly on purpose, whether it be, like you were saying, like he just happened to be there. Like, you couldn't watch, you couldn't be making this film and say, oh, look, there's another huge red hue going across the screen. I guess we'll have to do this again. Well, I, I mean, it might be on purpose of misunderstanding that he leaves it in there, so yeah. to speak. But I don't think he set up, like, okay, let's get the lens flare in here. Or pulls the J.J. Abrams, which I'm guessing a lot of those are probably digital. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, there, there's a is. difference between him just accepting everything that happens in his mm. camera's iris, I think. Mm. And, and somebody like J.J. Abrams, who's like, okay, we need a lens flare Right when Kylo Ren's laser comes right by the screen, yeah. yeah. But uh, still, but yeah. it, it was like, man, that is just just right there for you. Just it is. There was just so many of them, and they just kept on coming, and there they were. So the the paranoia aspect of this film, which we've hit on a, a bit, but is just it it just works so well for me going throughout at the beginning of the film, in the middle, at the end. Uh, we we see amazing uses of of things that I couldn't figure out why they even had, like the fact that they had pretty much an endless supply of those backpack blow torches, which 
I don't even know why they had those. Yeah. Um, And it's just something where it just feels from the very beginning of the film when you have this very bizarre scene with the beating music behind it and you have a helicopter that's chasing after a dog and shooting at it. You have no idea really what's going on. And the guy who's shooting in there apparently is like a stormtrooper because he shoots at him like 16,000 times and never even comes close to hitting him. Hey man, that helicopter is bobbing and weaving. That guy, (laughs) that helicopter probably just cannot get his shit together. But basically be flying. Who is flying the helicopter, by the way? Uh, Some other guy. The thing. I was going to say, what, what, when does the other guy appear? I don't the know. other guy appears when he accidentally like when 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 they blow blow up the helicopter when they blow up the helicopter and uh, he ends up dying with the helicopter. But we see we, we see the paranoia and and the the worry either from characters who are worried about what the the prospective future is when we look at Blair's character who does that weird. 1980s computer scientific analysis that hey, says man. everybody will be dead in the next three weeks. Hey, man, that was the 1982 equivalent of the kind of shit that we have right now where they have to have like a, a computer graphic showing hacking and other shit like that. Speaking of that, um, what's the deal with uh, Kurt Russell playing that computer chess thing and then pouring the liquid into, <laughs> pouring the liquid into the... What was that all about? He just gets really upset when he's beating <laughs> chess. Yeah. I, guess. I really wish there was a scene that at least would have shown the repercussions of how that's probably a community computer. And it is. <laughs> There's only... What the... How fucking long are they staying up there? And I feel like some people... I think people, down there, by the way. Thing or no thing, yeah. some people would have had something to say about the choices made in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> Who did this? That's what the actual whole film is. Is basically them hunting him down. Was it you? It was the thing. Yeah. So what what do you guys overall think though about and Nick I know you've already mentioned thoughts on this but but the paranoia aspect of this film from scene to scene not necessarily as a whole because we see a lot of very intense scenes that I think otherwise would not be very intense in films that aren't laid out better. I mean we have these really sort of borderline uneventful scenes that seem like they have a lot riding on them, whether it be intentional or not intentional. And and I love that aspect of this film. I, I really do love that we never are, can really be sure about Kurt Russell, at least on the first pass-through. You have that great finale. Who knows about Keith David? Is he breathing? Is he not? Whatever. Uh, the, the whole thing is just very interesting for me throughout, not just in the final scene and in, in certain aspects of the film. And I, I just really liked it. Now, having mentioned that, have you looked up any theories about the ending? I mean, I looked up a couple things just to, right. to read them, but I'm not like getting knee deep in this like the Mulholland Drive community. Well, so. I will say the one thing I did read was that apparently at the very end, in the final scene, uh, Keith Davis' character, who I'm blanking on the name, Childs, Childs, Childs there we go, and or Frozone, <laughs> whichever one you want to. Uh, but from what I've read, it's supposed to be, I think. It's alluded to that Childs and McCready, right, mm-hmm. um, are actually uh, Andy's mom's toys that she used you to play son with. Of a bitch! Oh god! Oh, oh! You teased it, and then you just went there. Oh man! That is called acting. 
very Tucson. Very, very funny. <laughs> very, very funny. I thought you were actually like gonna go somewhere serious with this. And what, did they, what did I do to you the other day when I was saying Oh, we were talking about Akira. Yeah. And you were explaining something oh this is great though. And you were explaining something about how like the more the character got more power, the more yeah. he started to use it for bad or whatever. Yeah. And then I just looked Tucson square in the eye and I said it dead seriously. I was but I kept teasing him and I got the entire sentence out without him catching <laughs> on. I'm like, well, it's uh, yeah. I I want to say it's almost like with um, I would say like with great power um, comes like, I don't know great. And I got through the whole thing, and then finally at the very end, he got really pissed off at me. <laughs> yeah, it's like my new favorite pastime to see <laughs> if I can get to the very end of whatever stupid Son thing I want to say. Bitch. Oh my god, anyway. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, yeah. Um, um, the paranoia aspect, Tucson. Yeah, the paranoia aspect. I love the ending to this, but just because. I, I've tossed it over in my head multiple, multiple times, and it's like it, the scary thing is not whether or not it's not whether or not childs is the thing. It's, it's whether they're going to have to repopulate. No, no, Nick, no, that doesn't. It doesn't work like that. No. Um, the, what's what's terrifying is is what if what if McCready like kills childs and he was wrong. What if, what if, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what happens after that scene. And that's one of those things that nowadays, uh, contemporary audience would just find insufferable, but that's something that I absolutely love. And I feel like that's something that we need to have more of in films just because well, it, 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 us, it, us. it improves the shelf life of that film. Yeah. I mean, the spinning top was just, well, you so, say nowadays, <laughs> you would say, you say nowadays people find the- Insufferable, but clearly the reception to this movie, I think that does play a factor. I don't think yeah. ambiguity, so to speak, has ever sold well. Yeah. Um, but I do think we give money, or we used to give money to people like Carpenter, who mm. would not be afraid to do it, right. uh, so to speak. But yeah, I, I'm a really big fan of that final scene. I just like the, I like that it's like almost the calmest moment in the entire film, pretty right. much. Like even like, um, McCready sort of just resigned to the. Yeah. To, to the possibility that he might be a thing. He right. might not be. But, like, just the way those two sit down and, like, even the wind doesn't seem as harsh as some of the earlier scenes when it's, like, the sound mixing is, you know, like, really ramping it up. And so it's, like, if this is them at their most peaceful, that's that's not a good situation going forward mm-hmm. because it's just it doesn't spell out very well uh, for their future. Uh, towards the end, before they even set up all the, the dynamite and explosives in order to destroy the things, um, like shuttle and like all the the transportation actually like let them out of there is like they they sort of had that that power moment where there's just like you know we have to live with the fact that we might not make it out of here alive we're probably not going to make it out of here alive but we have to stop that thing from getting back to the mainland it was like in- which is a great realization because then you see a completely different uh a completely different tone with the characters when when you're saying, "Oh, we're trying to live," they're they're doing anything to get out of there and, yeah. and figure out how to keep themselves alive. And then when you change your tone to, "Well, we just need to kill this thing," no. not it's... to mention it's another good uh, way to subvert your um, typical horror trope, which is the idea of why do they keep trying to battle the monster, so to speak? Like, whereas here, that like that that declaration that they can't let it escape to the mainland, and that is essentially a noble sacrifice. Both. I would say leans uh, 
or gives that emotional pathos, but also you're not staring at the screaming at the uh, screen like, why would you even go after it? You know? So something I did want to bring up in addition is that you guys wanted me not to watch the uh, the DVD menu or mm-hmm. the Blu-ray menu because you didn't want me to see a certain scene. It was like a little detail. But it's just it's a visual a, spectacle that's now, best seen not um, before. It sailed over Nick's head when we watched it together. A lot of things do. Um, but hmm. I, it actually caught him by so surprise short. again. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if this Wait, is... I'm what? I, Continue. So, I don't know if this is what you were talking about, but when I was watching the film, there was one moment where I was like, oh, shit! Uh, and that is when the guy is uh, doing the sort of chest thing on him. Yeah. And he goes to put it in, and then the... Chest just opens and swallows his arms. That is exactly what we're. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. Yeah. Go yeah. me, because yeah. that's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's a great surprise, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where obviously, if you see it, it's not so much that it won't surprise you, but just having that image <laughs> sets you up for that movie. Right. Yeah, but yeah, no, but that was that was great, and yeah. then you just see the. Pop, 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 pop. What another wonderful thing I love about that scene, besides the special effects and just the yeah, just the the pacing of it and whatnot, is that and I keep using this word a lot, but I think it's er, true in in relation to this film. But it's another inverse of a classic horror icon that we've seen, which is the chest burster from Alien. And here it's the it's it concaves and it's that, you know, and I I love that aspect where it's like. Carpenter doesn't invent the wheel, but he spins it in the opposite direction, and that's what makes it thrilling. And then yeah. talk about uh, what I think actually is, uh, especially for this film, by far the best special effect of the entire film, which is the head crawling across the floor <laughs> and then turning into a spider and walking away, where I was like, how did that even happen here? Like uh, like the spider thing, eh. But the head just slowly moving across the floor and the eyes moving. I'm but like, its how tongue it? just like lashing yeah. out and like pulling I, itself. I honestly, it was one of the very rare instances in film, especially in this day and age, where I was like, how did that even happen? Like I, like it, it was like movie magic for real. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's uh, the, well, they really did it. I mean. <laughs> They really unearthed a, an holy abomination from. It took from forty-five the... fucking takes, Frank. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, I love the uh, the head uh, just just moaning as it's like dripping off of the body as as, as it's just being like engulfed in flames. Like, yeah, that was really dope. And how about the sweetness uh, of the special effects and the sound in this film, which I thought was just wonderful. How about the sound that the the thing makes when it is getting burned? That just. Yeah. Oh man, that is just yeah. Ugh. The, it is. It, it is got to be one of those sounds where you hear it, where you're like, "Oh my god, that is just that is just ear bursting." The Whoosh. dog kennel scene uh, is yeah, it, it is one of the most gruesome scenes I've seen of anything, and I just I just love it. Just like thinking back to it of how like the the dog's face just like splits apart, and then like all these like tendrils start coming out of it. Like, oh my god. Well, and another part of that scene, too, that I actually find more terrifying than the actual thing sprouting out of it, and even when it kills the dogs, is all of the dogs being trapped in the kennel and just jumping up and trying to get out and actually, like, ripping apart some of the metal things on there before the people actually show up and... The thing is trying to escape, and oh man, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a something for you, right? Got to put the dogs out of their misery. Oh my god! Did we ever find out though who let the dogs out? Who? Who? Indeed, we don't. We never do. 
I'm sorry. It's okay. I won't be on another episode. No, you will. Please, please. Please do better. <laughs> that that is always a hope. Please do better. So, um, any more discussion points that anybody wanted to uh, to have more of a group discussion on before final thoughts? Um, not particularly. I just love the shit out of this film, and I think that if you haven't seen it yet, you should. Yeah. So, um, going to to final ratings, like yeah, this is absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. I think that um, in my mind, it is a classic. I think that it's one of John Carpenter's best film, if not arguably his best film. Um, and I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. Yeah. So I love the shit out of this film. Go see it. In the theaters. If you can. If if if, if you have a local theater nearby you, like during the October Actually, months. Who wants to I was going to say, it was funny because right before, like the day before we were going to see it. Or no, no, the day we were we were watching it together, I was like, oh, it's up a local theater around here is showing it then tomorrow. Yeah. I, I'd love to see this in the theater yeah. sometime. I think it'd be great. I, yeah. I do as well. Uh, I'll go. I just want to say that even though I'm kind of harsh on it, uh, I genuinely really enjoy this movie. I think the special effects, like I said earlier, make the movie. Um, I don't know that this is a movie I would rewatch if it was not for the myth- uh, the methodical nature of the special effects and like the painstaking detail into which this thing is brought to life in front of both the characters and and the audience like uh, there's kind of two layers going on right there as far as that these actors have to react and act with the thing and that has to work and uh, in turn then it makes the audience fear something that's simply on a screen and and it succeeds on both of those fronts so absolutely i think it's a success and i i love it and certainly it needs to or not needs to, but it has its place in the horror pantheon, and for good reason. It will never probably become one of my all-time favorite horror films because of just little things that I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say I wish were different, but I would say don't with, play to your sort of gratification. Exactly that. I just like I would eat this up if there was a little less uh, structure to the thing's killings, so to speak. And because of that, and the only reason why I even bring that up and not criticize it, but is because I do think the movie is trying and succeeding at a lot of different points to bring up that paranoia aspect. I think those two, its structure and that aspect are somewhat at odds with each other. So having said that though, I absolutely do enjoy it as three and a half, ah, three and a half out of five. And it's just below my favorite Carpenter film. Hmm. So. Very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought this was a very easy film to to watch and to pick out things for me personally that I enjoyed from it. Uh, Yeah, the story and the pacing does uh, fall a little short in terms of how much I enjoy films that I really love. But uh, this is a great film to look at. There's a lot of things here that I love, including bright fire in, in dark scenes. It's something silly, but it's one of those things like boats that just gets me to the theater and gets me to enjoy a movie. <laughs> Boats, the I, movie. I don't know, man. Like, Are you I, anxiously awaiting the Pixar uh, spinoff from Planes and Trains and the Boats? Well, I'd see it. You would. I would. You would. I would. I still like the third Pirates and the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. You hate your boats. I know. I I saw that just fucking awful Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson movie, Fool's Gold, and thought it was wonderful because there were boats in it. Um, so, yeah. That it's just one of those things, but yeah, here uh, seeing all that's these... why you like Jason Dakes Manhattan. Why? Because they're on a boat. Yeah, they're on that's a boat. Part, part of it, yeah. And there's a couple other great parts of that movie. Okay. 
Anyway. Uh, but this film, though, uh, had a lot of visual, audio, uh, musical, and special special effects cues that just really uh, won me over. And even though the characters and the story aren't necessarily amazing, uh, I thought they were definitely really good. So uh, this is a fantastic film for me. It's a, it's a work of art, and it's a movie that I think people should give a lot of attention to because this is a film that obviously took a lot of creativity uh, from both John Carpenter and from the other people who worked obviously very hard to make this film happen, which I, I feel like is something, even though I'm blanking on uh, the guy who did the uh, creatures, Rob Botton, Rob Botton, uh, he and John Carpenter get a lot of credit. This was clearly a much larger scale effort from a lot of people uh, to make this film happen, much like when you look at a film like Back to the Future and a lot of the amazing kind of set design, special effects that go in that film, pretty much the only person anyone ever talks about is Robert Zemeckis, where here, John Carpenter is the person who's always remembered, where this was definitely a lot of people giving their best effort to make this quite wonderful film happen. Absolutely. So, yeah. So The Thing, uh, fantastic film in my opinion, and it's a four out of five for me. Uh, if you have any thoughts on The Thing, uh, you can always send them along to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Uh, or if you have thoughts on the next one we're going to talk about, which is an interesting uh, parallel to The Thing. What are we talking about? I forget already. Do you, you guys don't remember? Uh, that is the 2013 film, uh, Under, Under the Skin, yeah, okay, no. uh, which, <laughs> which stars Scarlett Johansson and is a very um, interesting, uh, different look. At uh, it certainly is some a lot more peen in that movie, yeah, and a lot more, you know, a lot more. Alec just made the gesture for breasts. Thank you, thank you for that, for pointing that out for our listeners. Well, I thought that's you'd great. want them to know if you were doing I'm, it on air. Obviously, yeah. that's that's why. Um, I mean, that is certainly an aspect of this film that I'm sure will get mentioned, is that <laughs> there is nudity. Yeah. Oh, but, I thought you meant just specifically her breasts. No, but, but <laughs> among... Oh, that God. is an aspect of this film that we need to dive into. No, but the, the, this is a very... Yes. It's not just her. No, like, but it's a sexual movie. Yes. No, no, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> just the, the, the fact that that uh, was a response to what I... I'm like, uh, where are we going with okay, this? Okay, no. No, 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 uh, yeah. No, but, it is. Yeah, it is... <laughs> Anyways, one of the things we'll talk about, but there are a Clearly, lot of things. That was a nice little tease for how well this episode will go. Terrific. Yes. Absolutely wonderful. But uh, Under the Skin is a, a, a different look at somewhat interestingly similar subject matter. Uh, obviously, a, a much different story here. Yeah, if the thing tried to fuck Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Who says it wasn't trying to? Yeah, yeah fuck you too. Whoa. But... Um, <sighs> But it's a it's an interesting film with a lot of uh, a lot of moments that will make you um, laugh and cry. Well, that is uh, certainly a reaction that someone could have. Uh, but if you have any thoughts on that film as well, you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail dot com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Sometimes at Film Tank Show, and you can find all of our episodes on filmtankshow dot com or on iTunes or Stitcher. So, from Nick Cheney to Sean Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much, as always, for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. Oh.